welcome to another episode of Crushing Comics This Week in X. This is our first big episode after the massive X of Swords crossover as we cover the comic books that were out on the 2nd of December 2020. So that's X Factor number 5, Hellions number 7, plus we're going to chat about a book that we skipped out on during our focus on X of Swords, which was the anthology series Wolverine Black, White, and Blood number 1, which was released a month ago on the 4th of November. Here is your customary spoiler warning. We are going to discuss every aspect of these books, including all of X-Men history from 1963 up through this week, plus potentially some other things happening in the Marvel Universe. So you have been duly warned that there will be spoilers. And with that out of the way, let's welcome our guest Tyler and... Hold on. This is not Freya that we have on the line. Hello there, sir. Hey there. How's it going? Uh, my <laughs> name is Harry. It's not Freya. And I'm... Uh, filling in while uh, the usual host Freeha is off on an adventure. That's right. It seems that we have had an exchange of prisoners with a month and Freya decided that she would spend some time with in Canada. I, and that it's, she's somewhere. Okay. She's not here. And, uh, and so she nominated Harry, who's a friend of our show to join us for the next few weeks of this week in X as her exchanged prisoner. For those of you up on your Hicksman report lore, you'll remember that Harry joined us for our midterm report on the Hicksman report back in 2019. So with that out of the way, Harry, so that we can get to know you a little bit better, what would you say if you were resurrected uh, as a honed version of yourself, what do you think that trait that would pop through would be? Oh, man. Uh, basically, I think if I came out of the cocoon with like a honed version of myself, I my blood would be actual caffeine and I would have so much energy that like I could alone power a city or, or talk super fast and uh, probably irritate all of my friends and people around me. But I would be the ultimate version of myself. And I think that's important mm -hmm. to have. <laughs> that is true, because when he's high on caffeine during New York Comic Con, he was hype. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was like <laughs> I was I was seen into another dimension when we were hanging out at Comic Con. <laughs> Tyler, yes. uh, if you were to be resurrected and born again, what would be the first thing that you would do out mm. of the egg? Well, being Singaporean, and that our favorite pastime is food, I will be eating. <laughs> <laughs> that will be like and not just eating just like specifically singaporean food mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be something that you <laughs> and and picture like those are new taste buds like you're your own consciousness but it's your body's like first time around the block mm. and so like we have to think what would you want your your first thing to eat to be right i can <laughs> but we're gonna get super deep into all three of these issues as we usually mm -hmm. do but as usual we will cover our first impressions first so you get a little the temperature take on where we're feeling on these issues so why don't we go to tyler first how did you feel about this our first week out of x of swords um well, in general, I enjoyed um, all two issues. And um, if we are looking at specifically X-Factor, um, I think this is an aftermath issue. Very which much is, so. And it's not, not, not just X of sorts aftermath. It's, it sort of has some aftermath of like uh, X-Factor uh, issue 3 and as well as issue 4. And I also enjoy the way Leah uh, sort of layered um, different stories, seats different storylines in yeah. this particular uh, issue. You know, it's just like Claremont, <laughs> which is, you know, I mean, as you know, I, I really like Claremont uh, X-Men run. 
Wonderful. Well, Harry, uh, why don't you let us know kind of your first glance review of these issues and also it might help us to know how you felt about X of Swords since everybody who's been listening regularly has heard us drone on about it for the last <laughs> 10 weeks. Uh, maybe you could maybe you could give us a little insight into your feelings on the big crossover. Uh, yeah, I liked X of Swords uh, a decent amount. Um, you know, when I when, it, when they announced it was coming out, it was going to be kind of a tournament style thing where that's a big jam session of all the creators and I realized it was going to be a 22 part crossover. I didn't expect a, a ton of cohesion or kind of like narrative like power into it of it so it's more like a fun time for me uh hmm. i think i had a lot of pacing problems um but like i did not dislike it uh but i will be honest this week i was kind of over the moon with both books it felt like a great like return to like the interesting stuff on krakoa it was just like uh, x factor in particularly everything just just clicked for me finally with that book you know it's um it just it really felt like like we were heading in a cool direction with both of those series. And um, I, I finally really liked where X Factor was going. That's so, awesome. Thumbs up. <laughs> well, I have to say, I mean, look, we regular viewers know how obsessed we are with Hellions to begin with. So it should come as no surprise that I was just totally obsessed with Hellions. I read it the second it came out. I, I mean, I just I just think it's the most fun I'm having maybe at all of Marvel right now, honestly. I, I know I just throw superlative after superlative out, <laughs> but it's a really fun comic book if you like yeah. the obscure side of X-Men. But X-Factor, I would agree with both of you. It's just on a whole different level this week. Mm -hmm. Leah Williams, you know, we've been waiting and waiting for her to be an ongoing series where we know she has some runway and, like, Damn, she has got some runway going here, and she brings in so much history, especially if you're an X-Men reader in the 2000s. There's mm -hmm. just so much. So we're going to dig into all of that at length. But uh, you are in, it sounds like, for a pretty spirited discussion, because we are excited <laughs> about these three issues. Definitely. I mean, the 2000s um, X-Men, I think, is really a lot more your jam. Um, I'm not as familiar with that because, you know, that that occurs during my break in comics collecting. So I've read through parts of it once or maybe twice, but um, I'm not intimately familiar with everything. Mm. So so I'm kind of the new mutant here today for X-Factor. And how new of a mutant are you, Harry? I was going to say, Tyler, if you're the, the the new person in the crew, I don't, I'm don't. i an embryo, man. Like, I don't even... Uh, yeah, so I don't really have a lot of familiarity with, with quite a few of the characters in the book, I'm going to be honest. But, like, the, the interesting thing is, is that I don't even, for, like, a second, felt like that was holding me back. Uh, That's just, cool. This book is so deep into, like, the interesting ideas of, like, this whole Krakoan ecosystem with resurrection and the culture of the mutants now Th this is what i wanted when i heard the book was announced and i felt like this was the issue where you're right where it's like the aftermath kind of more hangouty kind of thing but like that's what i wanted to see this world breathe a little the first thing i think we can dig into with this x factor issue you know we mentioned that it's aftermath let's talk about where it fits in not just in terms of like continuity but where it fits in with what's ha what's just happening on the island right now right because it mm. There's an aftermath aspect from X of Swords. We're talking about things that happened with Rockslide. We're talking about other resurrections that happened, and we see the aftermath of Inhalians this week, mm -hmm. all the way up through mentioning other resurrections we haven't even seen hinted at yet. So it feels like that this actually, it kind of spans a little bit of time. Am I, am I the only one that really got that sense, or did you two feel that way too? Um, definitely for me, I think. Um, 
because when we when we start the issue, I mean that we started the issue with um a little bit of a flashback. It connects, I mean not a flashback flashback, but it connects almost directly to um, X Factor three. Right, it kind of reminds us like where we left yeah. off without actually being a recap, which I Correct. thought was really clever actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then of course you know we have we saw five like you know the um. The, the the five uh what to call top streamers in Mojoverse and now we have the appearance of one of them which is a very 90s <laughs> character Adam X I love him I lo- is non-ironically he, is I, I'm he, not the is person behind not... the Adam X Twitter account but I do love him very much <laughs> but is he or is he not the next summer's brother <laughs> yeah is he actually related or not he was yeah, originally, Fabian uh, Nesteza originally maybe thought he might be the third Summer's brother. <laughs> but then, you know, years later we got Gabriel Summers. But who knows? There could be four or five, yeah. six. But we'll see in that X-Men Legends series that's coming out next year yeah. who, the, who the final Summer's <laughs> brother is. So I but I was... sort of digress a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. To answer your question, yes, I, I mean, it, I felt that it spans a lot because, you know, it connects to X-Factor uh, the end of X Factor Three. It connects to the X- end of X Factor Four, and there are definitely bits that comes like after the entire X of Swords um, destruction. So um, definitely goes through the whole gamut. I think uh, of timeline for me. Yeah, it feels like even though it narratively it reads as though it could happen in a day, there's different indications that different amounts of time has passed, and I just think in a really clever way. Like, Mm -hmm. Lorna at one point says, well, I'm not going to go through all the messy details of the past few weeks. And I think it's just effective without dwelling on it too long that Leah Williams sets up this kind of amorphous status quo where we can kind of cram as many things from the other books in as we need to in order to have this fit. It's a sign of somebody who's good at playing in the continuity sandbox, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And there's also the cut to the uh, the mutant uh, impromptu prom, which kind of does seem like there's some some like thought and organization that went into that that speaks to time being passed and what have you. Yeah, I agree because yeah. there was I kind of felt like what in the issue has led up to this, and then it just re- reinforced for me of like mm-hmm. time is just passing. This doesn't all yeah. have to be in one chronological day. Necessarily. And it's yeah. it's good for that because it is just so much about the world and just the culture of this whole yeah. island that you just get to see them just living and existing and kind of partying and it just it is like a kind of relaxing deep breath after all the sword fighting and the crossover mm-hmm. and i mean these are these are kids that you know the i would say like would you call them like the third or the fourth generations of mutants young mutants that usually get left out mm. <laughs> when when you know marvel reboots the 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 x titles right because because people will be oh we are, we want the classic team uh, and the and and the all new, I mean the storm team right and then you know you have the new mutants and then you have the Gen Xers but these these kids are usually sort of like brush aside or you pick one out focus on him or or her or you know you have rocks like. <laughs> <laughs> Poor <Oxlade. laughs> Oh well, we're we're gonna get there in a second. I first of all, what to, as to what generation they are, I tried mm. to figure that out on Twitter not that long ago, and it's a lot more complex than you would think because <laughs> it depends on like how off how many in between generations people are mm. counting it. It got very heated very quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the other thing I want to talk about though is just 
the sheer size of the cast we get in this issue, right? Mm. And what and what Leah Williams is doing with that. So we have this premise of X Factor themselves, and they start out as the proof of death squad, right? They're there yeah. to kind of grease the wheels of resurrection by saying we can confirm such a person needs to be resurrected. But that necessarily means the five are are members of this cast as well. And Leah mm -hmm. now has written, I think, more scenes with the five in these five issues than anybody else has written since we've come back from Hawksbox. No. And now, on top of that, we've layered all of the cast of characters of all of these ex-kids, which and all of the cast of characters of whoever are involved in their investigation of whoever has died, which so far has been kind of like ex-kid adjacent, but then we have the folks that were Mojo World, and then we have mm -hmm. also the cliffhanger from this issue. So all of a sudden, this really does, to Harry's point, feel like the, the community book we were missing. And I don't think at any point for me, it got really, like, hurried. Like, I really felt like I got great moments with all these characters. But before we get into all the character moments, I want to come back to the status quo. The five kind of seem like they're asking X Factor to do more now. Before it was just tell us when it's okay to resurrect people, but they almost come to them in this first scene to say like, can we have the go ahead to turn resurrections back on after this whole X of Swords Otherworld thing? Yeah. So do you think the five is like deliberately trying to look for an outside body so that they're less like culpable in this situation? <laughs> Harry, what do you think? Because I have something to say. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, they definitely have some trepidation. They're also, well, I'm thinking of Hope and, and Egg, but they are younger characters, so it makes yeah. sense that a few of them are looking up to some people with more experience, and especially when they already did it once and Rock Slide turned into like a newborn ghost yeah. baby. And, uh, you know, so that that does make sense to me. And it does it is cool because it gives the X Factor a feeling of authority and a feeling of, mm -hmm. of importance in this ecosystem that's being established, you know, in these books, which is, which is pretty cool. No, I mean, definitely. I, mean, I especially like that scene. I mean, my, my answer to that would be, of course, because, <laughs> you know, Egg was the one who's, who, who went on and said that, oh, you know, the eggs could be tainted. And then Hope was the one who gave the go ahead to destroy all the eggs. And, you know, I mean, there's one particular scene here where um, Hope and Egg glance at each other when, when Hope says, yeah, the full cache of fresh eggs is now ready for for resurrection as if like, you know, yeah, we were at fault, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it was kind of a unspoken unspoken glance, but I, I thought the art by um, Dave um, Baldion, is that how you pronounce his last name? I think um, so. Is pretty amazing because i i kind of i mean it's a little bit cartoony but it's very expressive and um i think it is he does i mean his art is very dense they are packed full of things but at no time you know does it distract from the storytelling it's kind of a perfect balance between kind of cartooniness and some more serious material like mm -hmm. we haven't really mentioned it but that beginning scene with uh you know the mutant on mojo world her her filmed murder is incredibly for me i thought it was kind of very grim and very mm -hmm. unsettling uh yeah. but then later you have the you know some really warm moments with with iboy uh, hugging rock slide and then um uh you know them making fun of uh Dokken and what have you and you just you can he can baldian can walk back and forth between those two kind of stones mm -hmm. very well uh i i think his art is kind of stunning to me. I've been really enjoying it. I can remember him from probably my first memory of really noticing him was on Young Allies back in 2011. If we oh, that was obscure. him. And, um, and I just remember 
he, he has a certain way of drawing heads and faces that can get a little gawky and, and it turns it a little cartoony for me, even though I know comic books are inherently cartoony. But this transformation that he's been on in the past year or two, you know, passed through his work with Gail Simone and Domino, which I think to this point was mm-hmm. the greatest he's looked. And then yeah. this is, I think he's just reached a totally other level on this book with Leah Williams because his people are getting way more differentiated. Like the body types are so differentiated, the faces are, and he still is playing with that same expressiveness in the faces that he always has. But it, it's on a wider palette of people. And all of a sudden, I feel like maybe the things that people were appreciating about him through the years, because he's pretty popular, I would say, with fans, I like kind of get it now. I, I see it now. And I think Guru FX does a terrific job coloring him here. But I think just the simpatico between him and, or is it, is it Guru FX? I don't want to credit. No, it's Israel Silva here on this issue is to color him. I don't, um, don't want to ignore, though, that he's so simpatico with Leah Williams. You can just tell by the way that they tease each other on Twitter about mm-hmm. the issues that she's just fallen into a rhythm with him and it's benefiting both of them because i think they're both doing their best work like issue after issue here no definitely i mean usually the synergy between writers and artists can translate um you know translates really well when when you read a particular issue i mean and i think like in this instance they work really well i mean the other good pairing that i can think of off my head right now is percy and kasara because, because I think just like overachieving. Just, yeah, ridiculous. the two of them is just like really mixing very, very, very well. Well, let's get into some of the stuff that happens here. There's, there's a couple of different resurrections. We're going to go through those, and then we'll talk about a little bit of the stuff with the team and the other characters. Mm-hmm. So we get Wind Dancer back because her death has been confirmed. Of course, she had died, I think, previous... I don't know. This is the wrong crowd to ask. But I think she was already dead and back, and now she's dead again. Um, but she's been resurrected from death in the Mojoverse. And so we get her, this rebirth sequence, and we've seen a rebirth sequence a few times, and usually we get it from the focus on, you know, Storm as the community leader, the preacher, mm-hmm. right, who's saying, yeah. like, this is our sister. But we get a very different, much smaller community here because we see all of the people ready to welcome her back, which kind of ties into how much this generation of mutants has lost, not only in um, the stuff after House of M for them, but just all the way through Second Coming, and even as recently as Matt Rosenberg's run killed a few of them. And it's just like this really joyous moment of getting them together, and Williams and Baldion make sure to pack the panels with folks here. We get Hellion, you know, who's a major character, who's friends with um, Wind Dancer, Surge, Loa, who previously had just been sacrificed at the top of Rosenberg's run, Dust, Anol, who doesn't get any copy, but, you know, is Rockslide's Mm -hmm. BFF, and the list goes on and on as we move forward through the issue. And there's just a real sense of like community that feels more real especially for people who've maybe been a little perturbed by that like whole oh they're being welcomed back into a cult this does not feel like a cult in the slightest to me this feels like a family yeah i mean i'm gonna nitpick a little bit here okay because okay. i think i think the te- the telepath is the, the telepath who's supposed to you know put the soul back to win rider was missing here she just came out from <laughs> the egg and and that's done so we, I mean, well, it could have happened off screen, but off panel, but um, you know, but I just is, thought that that was. Is something it always which, supposed to be Xavier, or, can, or or is it like whoever's got the Cerebro on? The I, only time that was, yeah, um, Harry, you're gonna say something. No, I just assumed it was always Xavier who did it, but I didn't know if he had to physically be in the location to do it. That was, you know, I thought it was more like mm. a come and go kind of thing. Depending yeah, everybody's on... doing more remote work now, so I don't <laughs> see what he's got to be. Look, in he's a room. busy guy. He's got a lot on his plate, and you know what? This is for them. This event's for yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only time that 
um, Professor X wasn't involved was because was Jean resurrecting Professor X. That was right. the only time I can remember. But um, yeah. If you go down that line of thinking, if they're, you know, I don't know how frequently they're resurrecting mutants, but that means uh, Xavier has got to be there like all the time. He definitely has a guest home right next to the, the, the growth pods just hanging out. I mean, that's the reason why there was a data page in Hotspox that talk about the, 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 the resurrection timeline. Because, you know, with Xavier being the only one, I mean, he gets tired and therefore they need to train, you know, the rest of the telepath to do it as a backup. And, you know, once they have the entire engine going, they can resurrect the entire mutant population in X amount of time. I think that was done in Hotspot once. Mm. I, I would read an issue of Xavier learning to delegate throughout the months, <laughs> just finding ways to, like, parse out the resurrections to different members of the crew. That'd be fun. <laughs> I would enjoy it if it, like, went, like, progressively lower and lower down the telepath chain. Like, you know, it starts with, like, Gene and Emma, and then it's got, like, Rachel. But, like, then to the end, we're just getting, like, really, you know, vague. Like, what does it look like when Monet is in charge of the resurrection? You know, and we just keep going down to telepaths that get delegated and delegated. Look, we've asked everyone else. We just got to come to you now. Just just, just a couple of days a week. That's all you got to do. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit of coverage. For Well, you know, I was going to save this for later, but there is one telepath who's around during this mm -hmm. resurrection. And it was mm -hmm. easy to miss, I thought, with the dialogue and art. But Emma yeah. is just standing outside in silence this whole time. Nobody's thinking yeah. to like bring Auntie Emma in for a hug. Um, there's a lot of history there with this class of mutants, but I want to hear from the two of you rather than me just talking. Did you did you catch that? Like, it's, did, how soon did you realize it was Emma who they were saying she's still outside and then she was a really far away figure? When did you pick it up? It took me a minute. I thought for some reason I thought it was. Uh... Uh, Jean Grey for a second. I don't know why, but like I also don't know that uh, her history with that particular class. I just thought when they finally got to the moment that it was really interesting. But I, I was a little slow on the take. What about you, Tyler? Um, I mean, I I did I I was trying to figure out what the conversation was about because the very first conversation with uh, Elixir and um uh was that um Prodigy was Prodigy was talking about um downstairs upstairs outside inside and i i was like okay who are they talking about like yeah, it was who doesn't like want to come big. in yeah and then of course the very first panel of the lady in white i was like oh of course it has to be emma because you know she she came to krakoa for the children she said that explicitly in housebox uh in house of x number five. Oh no sorry powers of powers of 10 number five and then you know and my guess is that was the reason why she didn't volunteer to go attacked um, in Otherworld, in X-Men 15, because she's there for the children. Mm. Someone has to be there for the children. So, yeah, I don't know all of Emma's history and characterization. Have you? I mean, mm -hmm. I've read, you know, more modern stuff like Whedon's Run and, and Gillen and Matt Fraction oh, and yeah. all that. And But what I like, I, I so I didn't know how well her voice read. It's kind of hard with her because oh. it's such a specific kind of thing. But mm. just the idea of her, like, taking one mutant death now that hard is, like, such a great, oh. like, like, just, like, a great moment. It really... I thought it was, even though I wasn't sure if the voice is right, I just loved the idea mm -hmm. so much that, like, I thought that that was probably my favorite part of the issue. Peter, how many young mutant teams did Emma lose? Oh, she kind of specializes in full team wipes. I mean, let's, 
So look, there's there's a couple of layers here, and I think you two brought up I, to me two of the most interesting points about this. So I want to start with Harry's point about the voice. Leah Williams has a very specific idea, what I think is actually the right idea about Emma Frost, and you can go on Leah's tw Twitter and see her talk about Emma for years, even before she was in the X office. She believes in this Emma who cares too much on the inside, and that even though she can be evil and even though she can be terrible, part of her can't turn off her ambition and her drive, and sometimes that's ambition and a drive to like love or protect or make people better and to Leah that's what connects Emma from Hellfire Club Emma to you know Hellions and Massachusetts Academy Emma to Gen X Emma and then on through the Emma that Harry's talking about so if you many of you I'm sure have read the Joss Whedon run you have to remember that that run immediately follows Morrison's run at the end of which Jean dies and Xavier kind of goes AWOL and so Jean and Emma, or I'm sorry, Scott and Emma are kind of in charge. And that's reflected in this Academy X group of mutants because Emma's kind of the headmistress and the, the lady in charge. And she's using the new mutants like Danny, who she used to have a very antagonistic relationship with, mm -hmm. to recruit them all. So this Danny-Emma scene is like a t throwback to like a specific sort of like 17 years ago X-Men comic book. And I immediately got the reference like in a second. And, I, and, it, and so it's Leah playing with that. And, and so if the voice of Emma sounds a little bit different, it's one of these moments where we have to ask ourselves, do we just want this kind of like arch, um, you know, kind of kill you with a smile, Emma, that we usually get? Or do we actually want to get a little bit underneath of that into the character? And I I mean, I love Emma Frost. I do want to get into the character. And I, I would read a Leah Williams Emma Frost book in for eternity, for 100 issues. Like, I'll give you my credit card right now. So um, so, so I was like just buzzing with excitement well, to get th this. That's, you know... It it felt just such like such like a nakedly emotional moment for her that I yeah. actually, like it felt you know because this whole era is so much you know I hate I don't want to say calmer but more they have a chance to breathe and kind of be more open maybe she doesn't have to be that you know just kind of blocked and repressed and what have you so I, I took it more as like you know she has finally had a chance to like open up a little bit you know in that super down moment where she lost one of her kids but you know and just the art there too, not only the way that she's written, but the way that she's kind of shadowed from above yeah. in her own hair and, and the tree cover is shadowing her face. We only get this kind of tiny sketch of what her expression is. I, I think Baldian, I've, I can't think of another time I've seen Baldian draw that way. Like it really, I was like, had to check like, mm -hmm. did we get like Marcos Martin or, or somebody like to in for a page here? Because it was just mm -hmm. so different and classic. Yeah. But now I want to come around to um, Tyler's point. Gosh, now I might have lost it. Hold on. Let me like, <laughs> Tyler, reassemble. <laughs> yeah, about just like about the, the, the generations and her, I guess I kind of covered it in talking about Harry's yeah. point in that like she, she's been involved with all of these mutants. They don't probably think of her as a headmistress except for maybe Hellion. But um, she, Gen X too. Yeah, she Gen was X, there I mean, with she, Banshee. Yeah. Yeah. So she's kind of been their parent way more than Xavier or anywhere else. Mm. And so the, it's really read to me that if we were going to see somebody really kind of both celebrate Windancer coming back and also really seriously mourn the loss of Rockslide for who he was, the only two characters that really could accomplish that would either be Anil or Emma. And I think it's got more heft with it being Emma. And it's also a nice, um, nice um, continuity to uh, from the scene in X Factor Four, where I think Emma was the only one who said that. So he he's effectively he effectively died. Yeah, like she was the only one in the Quiet Council who said that. Now I remember what I wanted to talk about. What you said, Tyler, the whole for the children thing. It makes Powers of X hit so much harder. Like 
that it literally is why she's here. That whole mm -hmm. weight of all her full team wipes, all the dead kids. Like we can say that it's to get Shaw or to manipulate people or whatever, mm -hmm. but like Emma gets all her kids back. And this moment, I think like plugged right into that moment in Powers of X in such a fascinating yeah. way that when you said it, I just got like chills. Like it is for the children. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this book is really right. good. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a good it's book. just a really good comic book. So look, this is a natural, I think, transition to talk a little bit about Rockslide. We got a, a rare use, Tyler, of Rachel's actual mutant power, which is her chrono skimming ability, which most X Men authors, I think, don't even know exists. I didn't. No, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it was mentioned like in X Factor One by Leah Williams, uses... also. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and well, Leah Williams through Rachel told the readers that this is one of my powers, which nobody seems to remember. <laughs> that was a pretty funny scene. I mean, it's, it's kind of breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall. But um, I am a little bit confused here, because initially we were thinking that this rock slide is a amalgam, a scrambled version of him from all the mm. different dimensions. But here it seems to point to something else. Like, what do you guys think about this? Like, is he a baby, a newborn in a mature body or like what is happening? No, that's a good point because the book totally like positions him as like a blank slate where it's just, mm. yeah, straight newborn. And you're right that like when I read Powers, uh, X of Swords, I thought that it was going to be this odd mishmash of different rock slides and what have you, which I don't know what that would look like, but this is a much yeah. more uh art like a more familiar kind of archetype with just like mm -hmm. he's mm. he's in scratch and he's just messed up yeah i guess i mean you know i think about we recently in one of our other series was talking about magneto as a baby right and that <laughs> yeah. mara mctaggart made him a baby and then he comes back but he's still magneto fundamentally even though she had some designs on doing some tampering with him and yeah. so i guess i was i was reflecting on does it make a difference if Rockslide has been reset to kind of like a blank mind as our Rockslide versus being reset to a blank mind as like multiversal Rockslide? And I don't know that we know the answer yet, but I think that's kind of like the intriguing thing that's set up here. Like, what would be the difference have us having raised Magneto from a baby from 616 versus raising Magneto from a baby that got regressed from one of the other places? And I know it's not exactly the same, but it just mm -hmm. made me think about that because it's been present in our conversation yeah. recently. Yeah, we're, we're... I mean, and and like the way um, Rachel reached the end of his of his timeline, basically is 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 telling us definite yes, this is not going to be reversed, no matter what you know you guys can kind of think of, because this is where it starts. And right, there's no more. I love the analogy. Like, there's no more yeah. tape. As somebody who in, is old enough to, that I learned audio editing on actual cutting of tape, Harry's laughing. At their nothing collective to say. Journal, <laughs> journalism experience. Um, that uh, that like yeah, when you're out of tape, you're out of tape. And I just thought it was like a perfect analogy. It just made me really smile because I because I've been there, at the end of the reel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think you know it's possible that, I mean, I would imagine we're all spitballing, but you know the idea that like if. if 
you know, he grows up, he's going to be in a different person and personality than the one in the past. So that, that might be where this is going, but it is a little muddled right now where I'm not, but, but I like the idea in this issue, the way they've, they've posited it. I like where it's going to go. I think yeah, I'm not mad about it. No, I'm not, I'm not having a, like those darn editors (laughs) moment. I'm just like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Now we're going (laughs) to see what, how this plays out. And we do mention ever so briefly that Gorgon's resurrection uh, he's mm. acting strangely. That's the yep. only other one. What's up pa- with that? Harry? I want to I know everything <laughs> about that. Like I was like, I like, I was like, okay, let's let's circle back to this because that was like the one part of <laughs> X of Swords. Because like I think Gorgon's an interesting character in in this new status quo. Not so much the Millar yeah. stuff, but like if they're gonna bring him back in a different way, like I want to know what's happening there. So if it's in this well, book, that's awesome. <laughs> my my guess is he's he is reserved for Hickman. So oh, that's going to be addressed in X Men, um, you know. That's that's my guess. I mean, yeah, but I think yeah. it'd be fun if he's in this. I just hope he's really nice, like a super nice guy. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm. I, he's now cardinal. I I don't fight anymore. I'm that not picking up my sword. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the resurrections took up a lot of space in this issue, but not all of the space. So I think we have two more mm. big chunks to talk about. One is. Yeah what's going on with the X-Factor team themselves. And the other one is like all the other stuff, like the prom and all the moments of everybody kind of sitting around in the Boneyard. So before we even get past that, there's the actual data page for the Boneyard. And whenever we get to a data page, I do like King of Receipts, Tyler, to start <laughs> off our discussion. So Tyler, without just having people reread the page, what yeah. did what do people need to go back and pay attention to on the page? Well, the only thing that, I mean, the, the thing, the line that jumps out at me is right at the end where it says its ex- exterior can become spiked or angular should outside defense become necessary. I mean, I'm like, okay, wait, this is on Krakoa. So someone is going to be invading Krakoa so that they need to protect themselves or, you know, some other things. Or someone so, on Krakoa is going to want to get yeah. into the boneyard for some reason. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, so so I thought that, I mean, this is like, you know, a seed of a, a story that is being planted, like, you know, way maybe in the future. And then the other thing is like, um, I noticed that Darken is not, doesn't have his own room. He's in a guest room. <laughs> that's <laughs> real. It's just like. Well, that's hmm. a real Wolverine kind of thing, where he just kind of hangs out, sleeps wherever, you know. That's that seems like a, a genetic. <laughs> no, <thing>. but not <laughs> anymore because he's yeah. he has a room that has no doors now. That is true. <laughs> he's somewhat committed now. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, yeah. one of my favorite things about that data page is how it immediately transitions to the same design of the boneyard, showing yeah. like everyone what they're up to. Like it's just mm-hmm. a great like way to show like yeah. the abstract like basic design elements and then how they're actually using it in real time, which I think was super fun. Yeah. I mean, there's one other thing that I noticed that the, is, is in the naming convention. Um, there's something called um, alveola. And I know, I mean, the word is a little bit strange. So I actually Googled it. And I found that it is the bony ridge that contains the sockets of the upper teeth. So it's oh. part of a biological thing. So that leads me to think that is the boneyard Krakow's tooth because it can grow too, right? Remember, it can so, huh. so that was the thing that I was like, hmm. I I have to admit when I you know sometimes when I see a proper noun in a comic book and, and the and the word is capitalized, I'm like made up word, and then like yeah. the, you know you actually looked it up and it meant something. I I that totally caught me off guard. Uh, but I want to push into Harry's point. Like, 
if if this eluded you on your first read, if you go back and read, Baldion mm-hmm. actually mimics the data page in the layout of the next yeah. two pages, which again, I don't think we've seen anybody do no, yet. It's so I don't smart. see we think we've seen anybody echo a data page in the artwork of the issue. Like it's really smart. It's like one of my favorite data pages by far now. It's just such a good use of these things that have been hit and miss, I feel. More hit than miss, but like this is just it's it's connecting that more clinical stuff that Hickman introduced with the warmth of of this writer and, and this cast of characters. It just it was really uh, elegant, I thought. And I thought no, it was I, it was tricky to begin with because it's a page of conversations that don't read sequentially. Mm-hmm. And then you do the page turn and you realize that each one of them, it probably actually read better in a physical issue than um, than on digital. Because yeah. when you page turn, you realize that the conversations are kind of continually, uh, continuing across per story of the building, which is like so clever. I know. It's crazy I mean, that we're over cool. a year into this and there's still artists that are like finding new ways to interact with this paradigm of layout that Hickman and Muller have, have kind of birthed with the idea of yeah. the data pages. I mean, as you mentioned in one of our previous episodes that um, every writer would use the data page differently and in most cases it's to their strength. You know, they, they, they cannot mimic Hickman's in his charts and maps and stuff like that. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, they, they, they do what they, you know, they, they excel in. And I, I, I mean, this is one really um, interesting one, even though it has charts. <laughs> and, I mean, not really a charts, but, you know, a floor plan, a blueprint. But it also, in it, I think it also seeds like, you know, future ideas and, you know, some, what, 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 what was the thing that I was, uh, check, is that Chekhov's gun? Right. Yeah. Which we talk about all the time. Yeah. yeah. So it's like seeding things here, you know, and then maybe it will come out to play and then you'll be like, oh yeah, this is what happens. And that kind of thing. Well, look, I do want to talk about, uh, with Harry, perhaps the remaining community stuff, but since you talked about writers using data pages mm-hmm. to their best effect, I've got to talk about the second data page. Uh, it took my breath away. I actually, had, yeah, for those who don't know, I haven't been on this channel since 2009 when it was started. I'm a singer-songwriter, and that's why I got on YouTube to begin with. And I still am an active songwriter. I just don't have many places to play in Wellington. And I just started writing this song called Shrink to Fit about this feeling of trying to have to shrink yourself into somebody's conception of you in order to have them keep loving you, right? And I literally had written this song the night before, and I have this little demo video of my computer, and then I open up this issue, and Leah writes this data page that starts, every day you wake up in a smaller box. And the way she's captured it it doesn't matter if you felt this way in a romantic relationship or at work or with a friend. It's just, I don't know. I don't know if I've felt this emotional about something in a comic book for a really long time. I Maybe one of you can talk for a little while. Yeah, no, it really kind of, I don't want to, I'm not going to go as far as like it devastated me, but it definitely made me think about those times where you feel like a relationship in both personal and romantic is like irreparable, even though it usually isn't. It's just the the feeling that you can't, take something back and the box gets smaller and it just I finished reading and I was just like oh geez like I have a lot to think about like I stared out the window yeah. for no you know I agree it's it's like incredibly well done and um kind of haunting yeah mm-hmm. but who is it someone who's yeah. having a really bad it? day <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, like someone who's really just needs a hug and I don't know, but I, I mean, it, it, do we think it's a character that hasn't been established yet and in the, in the series or someone that we know already? I mean, given, given the, 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 the amount of characters that, uh, Leah is playing with, um, you know, coming from a specific era, um, which unfortunately I'm not very familiar with. Maybe Peter could point like, you know, is there someone that you think would fit in there? Like, well, I, I haven't got the slightest idea. I, I just, yeah. Yeah, it I felt it felt like you know it, it. I don't know about y'all how you read it, but like it felt like the narrative of that page was it started off with someone becoming really down, and then by the end has been broken to wanting to take some sort of action. It felt very threatening by the end no, that like is. something was going to happen. So I feel like it's got to be connected to to the cliffhanger, but we can get to that later. Oh. I could, well, look, yeah. I I think I mean this issue is clearly so packed with stuff that we could keep going and going. This is almost yeah. a full length episode just about this issue. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's it's um newbie's choice here, Harry. What other community things should we dig into with our last couple of moments on this? Should it be Dakin with Aurora? Uh. Should it be the prom? Should it be where? Where, where do you? Where do you want to go? I feel like just the the culmination of the book is the fireworks show at the end with Aurora uh, Northstar and his sister just sort of shining bright and everyone kind of being united in that moment. I feel like it just brings everything together and with with uh, Rockslide just saying I believe he said he said beautiful or what have you. Like it just yes. you know we we've talked a lot about just how this was like the most group culture heavy issue I think in a while mm-hmm. of these books and just that moment where everyone's present seeing the same thing i mean that's just a very common thing to do in stories but it just it worked so well like i just that was like just firing on all cylinders for me at that point so there's a lot of twitter consternation i discovered when i asked the question about what they thought was going to happen when they touched because when they touch there they create this blinding light and and nobody on twitter can quite figure out what leo is referencing here clearly something because she's always got her facts in order but um you know aurora had been um experimented upon by Sasquatch to kind of make it so her powers would be effective without North Star. But then mm-hmm. Aurora has her own issues with her sanity. Um, in yeah. a Mike Carey annual of X-Men in 2007, they rebuilt her personality as well as North Stars to try to get around her trauma. So I went back and reread that. Somebody online uh, whose name I have here, and I told them that we would give that, give their name. So let me find it. Um pointed out that also that she was captured and experimented on by the children of the vault, vault at one point. And so maybe it connects to that. But there's there's clearly something that not all of us eagle-eyed X-Men fans even were able to catch her. And that person on Twitter is a lifeless random there at the actual Barry. And they came to my rescue with some major Aurora superfan knowledge. So thank yeah. you so much, the actual Barry. But I, I actually wasn't sure what they thought was going to happen when they touched. But Northstar's point is like, well, it'll be fine now yeah. because you've been resurrected. Th- that's funny because for me, I just figured it was one of the many things in X-Men lore I hadn't read. So I was just like, oh, I guess they couldn't touch and now they can. And it's just like a sweet moment between characters. So I was just like, I guess, you know, Tyler and Peter will tell me when we're on the show. But, uh... <laughs> now, all of X, no. I went straight to the Xavier Files Twitter. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, help me. And, and people like, did no, not know no the one, answer. I, no, I, I did answer. not know this as well. And um, I mean, well, the other thing I kind of want to ask you guys, did Aurora and Duncan... I feel like we'd see it. Well, I don't know if we'd see it, but I feel like you'd see like something more, <laughs> something more intimate. I don't know. I feel like they're taking like the slow approach with whatever that relationship's going to yeah. be. So like, I feel like it's just like small moments they're going to keep building. Um, or yeah. they no, I mean, got into the that. hair. Her hair was different. 
What? I, uh, I don't know. I read the art at the bottom of the page that she was in the doorway. And then when yeah. she says, I know that she slips back out of the doorway to go talk uh, to North Star. Like, I read it as though, even though it says later... And yeah. she's in, um, but she's in the same outfit and she's yeah. out and she's got her hair tied up. And so I kind of just assumed, but who knows? And I'm sure if, if something happened or didn't, Leah will take us there. Yeah. So and, Tyler, you know, is I there mean, anything the else that we would be remiss to... if we didn't, if we didn't m- mention, because we got to wrap up on X Factor, <laughs> I think. Um, I have something. Oh, Tyler with the last minute. <laughs> Prodigy. He said that he was murdered and then resurrected. That is something new. Right? He thinks. He's not yeah, even he sure. Thinks. How can yeah. you not be sure if you were... I mean, he knows he was resurrected, obviously, because his powers are working again. It's but bad. how do you not know what happened to you? I, I... Sounds like a job for X-Factor, if you ask Sounds me. Sounds like a job <laughs> So Hellions, number seven. Uh, I love Hellions. I maybe love Hellions even more than I did before <laughs> this week. So let's just start out where the issue starts, which is... Um, right from the cover, really, Sinister's been <laughs> weeping on the grave of his hellions, and he's come to the quiet council to say, my hellions are dead. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was a good impression of Sinister. <laughs> he's like at 11 or 12 in this book, and it's pretty incredible just how much he plays up every single scene and how much everyone else around him on the, in the council either enjoys it or wants to kill him. Like, everyone's just like, it's, it's really like he's just the most in every single scene. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he 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 chews up, <laughs> chews up the drama, chews up everything. To, you know, I mean, it's it's funny, it's good, is. I mean, he is also sinister in <laughs> in this run, and I kind of like. I mean, I really enjoy um how they are po- portraying him and how they are playing, you know, positioning him in 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 certain ways um in the entire scheme of things. And also it gives us even more of this quiet council um, interactions. Jean is there on the art, by the way. Maybe she shouldn't be based on where we left Jackson yeah. Swords, which isn't in a line, so maybe just an art issue. Um, that... Oh, an editor issue, which okay. I have been pointing out quite a few times. <laughs> they already me. blocked me on Twitter, so I'm the, you're, <laughs> you're cruising for a block now. Too. No, I'm like, uh, hire me. I'll do a better job than you. <laughs> Tyler's right there in New York. He can come right to your offices when you reopen. So, yeah, I'm right here. But here's I can work from home, too. <laughs> here's the thing that it's made me think of. Like, he's such a buffoon. And they're all there making fun of him. Exodus makes fun of him. You know, Mystique makes fun of Exodus making fun of him. Kate is like, this has already been dealt with. Why is he monologuing? But the political theater is the point. He's taking up space in the room by doing this political theater. We see how this goes in the real world. I don't even need to reference the United States because there's all sorts of dummies in charge of of the political machine all over the world and other countries as well. Like when you're a ridiculous douchebag in front of the, the political body, that holds power even if everyone's laughing at you while you're doing it, which maybe is not Zebwell's point here, but I cannot help but see the parallels here of just like having the the boldness to lie outright and be ridiculous in front of the ruling body of this country yeah, yeah for all the silliness like it is working like his plan yeah, to like he's getting just, everything he wants yeah it's like a total offensive maneuver just like just grandstand and grandstand but like he is slowly getting his way whatever that's gonna be as we yeah. c- continue I mean, he- on almost always get his way mm-hmm. but you know he always have a backup plan i think that's that's the other thing too 
He did lose the cape. That was not a win for him. But beyond that. <laughs> but he had a backup cape. It's yeah, he had a backup cape. Plumage is all back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So look, before we get any deeper into this issue, uh, since we have Harry here as Faria's designated uh, trade of prisoners, I was curious what Faria might think about this. And we actually managed to get a broadcast in from Faria, where she's currently in Amanth, Canada, one of the lost lands. Hello, Tyler and Peter. Greetings from Amanth. Um, how are you doing? I know it was a very last minute decision for me to stay over here instead of going back to Krakoa because I just couldn't handle all the nonsense that X-Men was spewing and how where that was going. So I thought I will try my luck here. So far, it's been pretty good. I have been enrolled into the engineering core to rebuild uh, Amanth. And um, Apocalypse is my mentor. I don't know how I feel about that. Ugh. Anyway, I'll let you know how that goes. But I thought I'll drop by to say a little bit about um, Hellion that came out this week. Um, I can't believe of all the titles that are out there. I am loving Hellions the most. I mean, Murders kind of comes second now, to be honest. And it's all thanks to Sinister, that guy. He's so evil, he's so bad, but still so good. Every minute that he's on, every second that he's on panel, it's the best. Give him, give that man the Oscar. I mean, seriously, he deserves it. Um, so I'm glad to see how once the Exo, now that Exosword is over, where all the, what's going to happen next. And the first thing we get to see is that Nanny um, came back as an egg, which I mean, I was hoping that that wouldn't happen, but that's what it is. But she's enhanced, something that I didn't think we'll be adding to the resurrection protocol lore. But here we are. Um, and also the f um, the fact that um, something we, I don't think we talked about that Orphan Maker's power and then the fact that he can't come back with his ex-gene expressed. Um, I am super excited to see what that means. What's his power set? I didn't find any information on that. And looks like it can be devastating. So we need to go and get his suit. That's the first, um, that's the arc. Um, so I am hella excited. I mean, I can't express how much I'm looking forward to the next issue already. Um, but yeah, um, and who is Cameron Hodge? Um, mm. He doesn't seem like a good news, but hopefully the new guy I sent, Harry, is working out. I was told he's a very good podcaster, so hopefully his um, mutant power of podcasting comes in play and he does a good job. I know he will. He's, he's cool. I think so. I think so. But anyway, so I don't know when the next transmission is going to be, but at least from now, from me, goodbye. And, you know, I miss you guys. Hope to, hopefully, you know, one day I get to come back from a month. But until then, bye. <laughs> so I think we can actually use a lot of what Freya covered there as our map going forward, mm -hmm. right? So we want to talk about the Arako deaths and being honed. We want to talk about Nanny and Orphan Maker and Wild Child too, who she didn't mention, coming back. Yeah. And then we want to talk about um, what she didn't talk about, which is this mission that the Hellions go on and and where we wind up at the end with a certain Cameron Hodge who for real apparently <laughs> has never met before. Tyler and yeah. I have been waiting for this, I think, to, to happen. So I got nothing. Do you know who he is? Absolutely okay. not. We're, we're, I have no idea. We're, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about this this coming back honed. Yeah. Ho mm -hmm. Honed how? What do you think it means? Especially I think Wild Child 
we get the most moments with where we can get his honedness. How did you, it read to you? Well, for me, I mean, it on surface, it's just they've become a lot more edgy and uh, 90s if you want to go that way. But, <laughs> it's the 90s, the 90s vacation. No, I think the it's the vacation process. <laughs> they all come out with patches. No, I think it was really, um, I think it was interesting. <laughs> It was, I think it was the most interesting part of the book. Like that, this book is a ton of fun. It's so, it's just such a good time. But this was definitely like the, oh, this might come into play later sort of plot point where they are like, well, with Wild Child, it's interesting in that he kind of grows up a little bit and he becomes like, I don't, it, which I kind of liked because it shows that his, you know, we're just talking about stakes and what have you. It shows that his death in the crossover actually kind of had some kind of consequence because that version of him is gone and he's kind of matured a little bit. It's but like also like a, a loss of innocence kind of thing where he's mm. now like seems a bit more extreme. Um, but I don't think it means that he is better. I don't think that's what the book is saying either. Well, and before Tyler talks, let us just say we love to let you know when Tyler was right and Tyler was totally right because <laughs> yeah. I was like, they were killed in uh, other world. And Tyler said, no, yeah. they were killed in a month and it's going to be different. And sure enough, here we are one week later and it or two weeks later and it completely paid off. Tyler, Ty Tyler you were yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think I read it from X Twitter somewhere and someone mentioned that, oh, so what happened if, you know, because they are not in, they are not in other world. Then I was like, oh, that's a good point. You know, so maybe they, they, they are not going to be affected like rocks like, and maybe there's a reason why they, they were killed there instead mm. of other world. And I mean, the, the other thing I kind of, um, is interesting here is that the, when you are killed in other world, which is a different dimension, you come back scrambled or, you know, as a blank slate kind of thing. When you're killed in uh, Arako Ameth, uh, you come back honed. Um, but we also have someone recently resurrected in another dimension. Who, I mean, who, who died in another dimension in Mojoverse. But mm. she came back unchanged. So yeah, it's yeah hard I mean, to know if that's like an oversight or if we're just supposed to read more into the differing nature of a month as something that's been kind of like divorced from our original Earth reality. But mm -hmm. I think it's it's something that we've never really been asked to consider the ramifications of. We haven't yeah. done that much dimension hopping so far in this run yeah. outside of these two series. And so mm -hmm. all of a sudden we've got to consider that there's another dimension to the stakes here. Yeah. Uh, but I, to Free's point, why does Nanny still come back as an egg? Is it because the honed, <laughs> is it because the honed version of Nagi, Nanny is even more egg, eggy? <laughs> the nanny, because let's all remember she was sealed in that egg. In Her egg. mutant power yeah. is not to be an egg. An egg. It's kind of horrifying. And, and, and it, it is horrifying. The, <laughs> the very first scene that she appears, she's in X egg with arms and leg popping out of the egg. She doesn't come out of the egg itself, but she's just like walking around with like, oh, you know. <laughs> considering the horrible ramifications of this yeah i mean I, I do like just the kind of the it's kind of just very elegant but it just makes sense that like if you die in other world you come back mm -hmm. not really making sense and if you die in mm -hmm. araka you come back kind of more extreme because that place is kind of extreme and yeah. sucks you know like it's gonna make it harder so like it just it's just a very clean nice little like consequence of dying in either place 
Yeah, to me, well, this whole honed thing, it feels, it's almost like, you know, when you compress something, right? You compress an image or an MP3 that's a lower quality. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound less like the song. It's just encoded so that the information that matters the most matters more, right? That's the whole idea of, yeah. of compression. And so it that's it's kind of like they've been compressed and anything that was extraneous about them is discarded, which I think is an interesting plot device, but it's also an inter- interesting like meta narrative device to say like, hey, do we have some X-Men characters that have gotten a little too complex to keep track of what their whole deal is? Especially Wild Child. Is he an animal? Is he yeah. a guy? Mm. He's a beta? He's an alpha? Like, who knows, right? But it's like, let's just get to the to the point. He's a he's a wild child. And it's like, great, I have, I have a list of other X-Men characters that we can kill in a month to get to the honed version of them. Let's, let's go right down the list. I feel like a good character needs to die there so we can see the contrast of like what they're like. Does Scott Summers become more neurotic? Like, is that going to be his thing? Like, what? Like, shots I fired from the free position in the video. Shots fired. At I like Scott, Scott Summers. Summers, but he's, you know, he's that guy. He's t- so, you know, I mean, it's just like, I, I feel like we just need to see more like what, like, less uh, morally ambiguous characters are like if mm. they died. And I feel like this is something that is not going to be dropped going forward. I can, feel, no. I can see this coming back later. Hopefully well, not Apocalypse, just from Wells. Apocalypse did say that, you know, you will hear from me again. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, what happens if Apocalypse gets killed over there and gets brought back? Like, do we want to know what the honed version of Apocalypse looks like? The ultimate. Uh, well, it's going to be like more pathetic to like Genesis. <laughs> he just loves his wife more. He's just yeah, really... like, oh, <laughs> my possible. wife. Yeah. I'm more so... unfit. I'm so unfit. <laughs> so super... like, Nanny, Nanny, and Wildchild are not the only two who come back. Mm-hmm. As Freya mentioned, Orphan Maker comes back. But yeah. Orphan Maker comes back in such a way that we are very concerned that his X gene has been turned on. So he's not in the mission here. And so which sends Tyler and I flying to the X-Men wikis around the yes. internet. And his power has never been mentioned no. ever I, before. I, I even reread all the X-Factor, like his first X-Factor well, appearances. Yeah, I was like, wait, 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 did, did they mention anything? You know, because, I mean, my assumption initially was that, oh, he's off the maker because, you know, Nanny and him are snatching kids away from the the family. So, you know, they are actually making orphans from there. So that was my assumption of why he was named off the maker. But it seems like, you know, maybe there's something that is tied to his power somehow. They're like positioning him as the Antichrist. Like if he comes into being, he's going to like destroy the world, which is cool. It's like like a ticking time bomb kind of thing, you know? Uh, I thought this was like a real case because I don't know any of these characters beyond Havoc mm-hmm. and Sinister when I started reading this. So like I've just been going with the flow with a lot of it. And this was another thing where I was like, oh, this must be some some plot line from years ago that you guys are going to tell me about. So I'm, I'm also now way more interested because it is like a new developing thing that yeah. we're all going in fresh about. Yeah. Well, and how cool is it that Leah Williams and Zeb Wells both this week are like giving us new stuff. Like it definitely feels like X-Men sometimes can just become like a regurgitation machine. And I know that Hickman is trying to really steer it away from that in his own Hickman-y way. But I think it's great when all the other authors actually start adding in their new stuff. I mean, who knew that we were going to get innovations out of 
you know, orphan maker of all characters. Who <laughs> knew that we were going to start caring about the relationship between Grey Crow and Empath? Like, this mm-hmm. this is just crazy. I think that's why Hellions, everybody's responding to it so much. Yeah. Some people who don't really like their X-Men books funny are a little bit down on it because it's definitely got a comedic edge. But mm-hmm. it's just doing that magical thing that great X-Men comic books do, which is, like, add to the mosaic of X-Men. And a lot of modern X-Men comics are actually afraid to do that. But Zeb Wells yeah. does not seem to have that fear. But let's be clear, this book is really funny. And I, I want this is one like that. I, I belly laughed at a couple moments in this book with uh with the plane in particular, but we can get to that. Clive. Clive Clive Sinister <laughs> is the best. Yeah, that's it. Sinister <laughs> is a good dude. <laughs> nice, he oh goes Sinister. God. What a guy. And then he does it yeah. <laughs> It made me think I, I mean we might as well just talk about yeah. it now because we're we gonna yeah. we talk about it. It made me think of uh, I this is probably my number one reference that I make, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm-hmm. when um the ship computer is super, super optimistic and Marvin hates it because <laughs> it's so happy. He's like and it's like, guys, we seem to have encountered two missiles, which are getting you know, it's like so oppressively happy and it just made me think of that it, um was, we're all gonna die i was laughing when like the build up and he's just like sinister what a guy and then i start laughing when it's when he's like the ai is saying like hey no wait i can't get in an escape capsule and then when sinister just goes Clive, i laughed so hard i scared my cats it was a whole thing it's just really funny like this book's really really funny you know yeah yeah i mean and you know his his plane is called a scramjet. <laughs> I was like, and I, and he said that. Well, I spent a lot of time training the AI, so he's training the AI to be like to praise yeah, to him all the time. Him. They like each other. That's the best part yeah. of the joke. <laughs> like, they're, he's way closer to the robot than he is to this, his teammates. Well, right. Have we ever seen Sinister be nice to anybody? Like the part of part of the layers and layers of the joke is that Sinister's sad that the plane gets blown yeah. up. Like, <laughs> like, like. Well, supposedly genuinely sad, right? right. Not like, like, like not in the Gene beginning where yeah. <laughs> a moment of pure like a pure human emotion out of sinister for the dead oh AI. My gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> uh yeah. This book it took me a while to like, get into this book just because like so much of it was foreign to me in the beginning, but like mm-hmm. once the X of Swords mm-hmm. kicked in, I've just been like locked in with it. This this book's amazing. Well, yeah. so backtracking a couple of scenes, we get Havoc and Emma, who primarily are connected through their participation in Axis and oh. also X-Men Blue. Like, these are not, you don't have to dig real deep to yeah. find their history. This is that not another one of Scott's loves that Havoc is trying to win I back. Know. Um, but <laughs> Havoc is just, like, throwing himself this, like, pity party of, like, oh, I'm messing up everything still. And yeah. Emma's, like, get up off of that cat, like, slap, like, Batman <laughs> slaps Robin, right? Like... <laughs> You know, well, and she says, you, like, there's a whole, there's a reason you're on this Hellions team. We're not yeah. going to let them go on their le- next mission without you. So get your yeah. ass off the couch. So, so I haven't really read any of the X stuff kind of after Bendis and Axis and all that. So I don't mm-hmm. know, like, where Havoc is at with, like, all that X-Men blue stuff I think he was in. So is he still he's bad? He's been unreversed. No, no, no. Okay. No, in in one of the few good arcs in yeah. X-Men blue, which is really not Colin Bunn's fault. He got saddled <laughs> with some terrible material. Yeah. Yeah. But in one of the few really great arcs of X-Men blue, towards the end, he actually fixes all that. And okay. So that leads me to my, because I was wondering, like, is, is Emma, like, lying to him, saying he's got some, like, inner demons they need to keep a lock on? Like, I, I, it's just because I didn't, I was kind of ambiguous to me. Well, it surfaced itself like twice in, in Helen's, right? So once, like in the very beginning of Helen's one, where, you know, he, he became a little bit 
evil kind of look looking and then the other thing was um in at the end of the first arc where he blew up the entire of the of the nature um and you know and it's, it's kind of triggered by certain things so emma was questioning if her fix was done correctly i think hmm. and i think in this case that's the the only reason why I can think of him going to Emma is like, well, Emma Emma has to be the one to certify that, you know, he is good because Emma fixed him initially. Because I was like, wait, why does he go to Emma? Like, why doesn't he go to, you yeah, know, go to like, why wouldn't he someone be else? Talking with anyone, literally yeah. anyone. Maybe his brother Emma. Scott. <laughs> Consider yeah. Cyclops. I know. Or Xavier, his original mentor. Like, yeah. So there's I mean, definitely some the point. There's a reason that Emma's being yeah. brought into this, and yeah. it connects clearly. No, to to, all to be clear, stuff. this is all good. Like I like where Havoc's at. I think it's pretty interesting, especially in this book, where it just feels like everyone's gonna have a bad end or a bad time. Like it feels like a a slow motion car crash with Havoc. Like, but in a good way. Like it's, it's like you know that tension's building. But you yeah, know, this book is a very entertaining slow motion car crash. <laughs> yeah. The best possible slow motion car crash. Now, I kind of on the side. I had a quick question. Did did we know? Because I, I was kind of disoriented in the beginning. Did we know like that the characters didn't remember how they died? Because I was wondering if that was going to come into play after they all died in in the last issue. Mm-hmm. And were were their minds wiped? Like what what happened there? No, there was. Um, I think it has been established um, in several other resurrections that there's a gap. Okay. So, oh, right, um, right, right, yeah. like in some cases, the gap is because the backup was done yeah. last week, and the other backup has not been updated. And then in in other cases, it would be because like you know like Jean in uh when 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 they went on the mission in House of X, um you know when the telepaths got killed they everything stops there i so forgot about they, that with Xavier. Yeah. yeah you're right okay, so cool. so i think in this case it's probably um a function of two of them of two things i mean one thing is that maybe they went into other world and Xavier was so surprised that gene and cable could connect telepathically so maybe when after they enter the gate you know everything got cut there and and you know it was a mess when they came back so maybe Xavier also did not know that you know um sinister killed the others this is why we well, need that yeah go on sir oh just this is my very similar kind of like fan wank no prize version of that <laughs> which is that knowing everything that was happening in other world and knowing that the backups are not constant right they're periodic in some way we we found that back in the house of x at least weekly although clearly for some of the more active characters it's it's more often than that mm-hmm. that i i've decided that when they come through the gate that it probably triggered a backup, which is why they can remember their mission. But then they got killed, and it's not like Xavier backed them up again a second later. And so Sinister's whole, like, waiting at the gate thing, probably having full knowledge of this, having helped the five develop the whole process, was like, all I need to do is give them a minute for it to kick in, and they'll feel like, oh, we got back to Krakoa, and then kill them, and then they'll just be like, oh, maybe they poisoned us back in Otherworld or Emma, then, like, they won't know you know what happens and so that is, that is my no price submission yeah and this is one for of why these particular characters remember being alive no, that's a good point and this might be like one of the first resurrections i can think of where there was kind of some deceit and intrigue and where, where it mattered that much how they died for like the larger context of the story so like yeah this is why we need that book about xavier's uh, resurrection schedule i'm starting <laughs> i'm starting a petition we need to see what he's up to
Well, and I think that that's why this and X Factor actually work so well this week. And I think X Factor mm. kind of like wraps around this issue yeah. because there's some things they talk about that clearly happened before this issue. And there's some things they talk about clearly that came after some of the resurrections we've seen in this issue. But the issues are kind of both about the ramifications of that. But but let's keep moving here to um, Sinister insisting on some social distance while he meets <laughs> with his Hellions. And, the, and, the, and then the Hellions start to get a little fresh with him. And Quanon as Psylocke, as we have to remind you every time, Time, steps back in and she's like don't lay hands on my sinister yeah it's a good scene <laughs> <laughs> now this is the first time like i actually like, it's stuck in my brain that this is it's like a different psylocke you know typically mm-hmm. i have to like remind myself like in the middle of a scene but this one i just i knew from the get-go and uh, i was kind of shocked that they brought in the connection to another x-book that they did with like why psylocke is following sinister uh, that, Not only that, but they referenced fallen angels. That, like, yeah. the, I was like, "What bold move!" The redheaded like, stepchild. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, so we 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 saw. I mean, I mentioned that you know, uh, Psylocke passed a piece of Epoph to Sinister, and now mm-hmm. we know why. You know, because her daughter is in in that piece of Epoph that that she passed, and Sinister was supposed to extract her somehow or find her somehow in 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 that you know in that in the echo so um you know i don't know but when i first read it you know the first thing i th- I thought of was actually caprica <laughs> because i think caprica has a similar um premise where the person died but their you know whatever sold or whatever was transferred digitally into into the digital world so i mean <laughs> that's what i was thinking of when when I read that, but um, well, it's, it's so interesting you mentioned Caprica is of course a spinoff of Battlestar Galactica yeah. because we we revere Battlestar Galactica reboot in this house and we just started rewatching it and as we were rewatching it, I was like oh man how have I not been talking about Cylon stuff as it relates to Resurrection on Krakoa because it's like it works so well but mm-hmm. again yeah. it's only so much time in the show. Uh, so Quanon's daughter, right? Who knew that that plot point in Fallen Angels would become significant? But then also it's kind of to say that each of these books has contained some little splinter of something that's going to get followed up on. And even Fallen Angels, which generally took a lot of heat from the community, still gave us A, Quanon's relationship with Sinister, and B, this idea of Quanon's daughter in continuity, and that she's doing something to try to preserve her. Sinister, of course, being just the worst, uh, responds to this protective moment from her uh, with, have I told you how pretty you are when you're loyal, which I find extra hilarious because it's not just like an awful guy being like, you're so much prettier when you smile, <laughs> but it's because Sinister doesn't care if you smile. He only cares if you smile upon him, right? Mm-hmm. So Sinister's like, I love how you look when you're defending me. <laughs> he is the son and, and of his own world. <laughs> like He, he is. really is. Yeah. He's Safe travels, you know, like don't, <laughs> and don't mess up my AI, which brings us back to yeah. um. All can, the can we stuff. talk about the 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 red crystals that appears here too? Is it coincidental or is it like, um, you know, those? I don't know because they appear in in the X book, I mean, in 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 Docs and now Rocks, uh, quite often, right? So, I'm just wondering if that crystals is going to play a part somehow well they're they're so often a signifier of sinister himself and i think that we were speculating last week like oh we saw them in a month or or something and we were wondering what that meant but it's like it is it a sign of something related to krakoa or is it a sign of something related to sinister i think is where my my questions are starting to center Mm. 
So, look, we end here um, with Psylocke deciding that they're going to crash Clive, which clearly puts her relationship with Sinister at risk. But she has the out of being like, well, we had to break through the bunker somehow to get in. And they are greeted by Cameron Hodge. So, Tyler, would you like to explain to Harry and maybe if the transmission reaches her to Faria, who is Cameron and to our viewers who might not know? Who I is think Cameron the, Hodge? I think a really short version would be Cameron Hodge was the uh, was a I mean was uh, was a friend oh, no. of like There's Warren. No short version. <laughs> yeah, was a was a friend of Warren, uh, and he was the one who funded and conceptualized X Factor, the and original original X Factor. X Factor, like yeah. the, the when the original X Men was pretending to be like mutants, hunters, and stuff like that, um, and then. Well, but he turns out to be, you know, a mutant hater. I mean, well, actually, I think he started off by hating Warren more than anything else. And he caused uh, Warren's wings to be amputated. And, you know, and I mean, so he's really the real evil. And if you have been following, um, you know, uh, some of the past X events, he's actually the real, I mean, one of the big bats in, um, in Execution of Song. Oh, sorry, no, Extinction Agenda. And his so, second coming. Yeah. Oh, right. And his second coming. Separated by 20 years. There was a version of him in Phalanx too, right? Like the Phalanx sort of created him yeah, somehow they, like, to... Absorb him at some yeah, they Yeah. Yeah. And then but like... I... Anyway, he, he his head got sliced off <laughs> at the end of Extinction Agenda. Um, but somehow he survived, you know, as... as most uh ex characters, whether it's a hero or a villain, they came back. So this version, I'm actually not hundred percent sure what version, what kind he is. But you can see that there's circuitry drawn on his yeah. neck. So um, the impression I got was that he was a racist and he had robots and was bad. <laughs> and I was like, it's kind of something very refreshingly simple about that. I was like, oh yeah. right, it's just. A classic bigot that the ex these ex these mutants are going to stomp on a bit, you know. So, I mean, I, that all makes sense. I, I think I read some of Second Coming. I think I vaguely mm-hmm. remember something happening there with him, but like I don't remember his name, obviously. Yeah. I think I think the thing to me, if I had to like roll it up into a really tight little ball, is that he's one of the kind of bigoted X Men baddies that actually used to be on the inside with them to some extent, right? Like he had their trust. That's not the case with Stryker. That's not the case with the purifiers in general. Some of, you know, people like Elixir used to be part of that and then came to the X-Men. But Hodge is kind of unique, I think, and that he's a human that was friends, legitimately friends with Mm -hmm. Warren at one point. And then over the years, his his jealousy and his bigotry kind of grew to, to lead him to be on the outside. So Tyler covered all the big plot points where he's been and he's I mean you can find him again and again and again I yeah. almost I think maybe um, Rosenberg used him briefly too in that r- dreadful run that came right before this but I'm not sure of that <laughs> um, but um, but I think that that's the thing to know so then the question is like what is really happening here like Sinister sent them on this mission but since Hodge is there and I think this can be kind of our closing shot here what is really the thing? Because Sinister's always saying one thing and having and doing something very different. Yeah. So what is he actually doing here is the question. I, I mean, I would imagine maybe have something to do with like augmentation. If this is a character who's come back with some kind of like robotic uh, element, if he did get his head shot off before. <laughs> but that that's, that's serious spitballing on my part. I mean, I don't know, but I'm, I mean, I, I kind of, um, I kind of like all the callbacks to 
some of these um, old established characters. And, you know, I think, I mean, if anything, um, you know, um, I'm really more interested in seeing what happens to Oftermaker. Yeah, um, well, and so to put a point on this mission question, the thing they're supposed to be doing is getting Nanny's ship back to remake Orphan Maker's armor. So Sinister monologues, the egg ship was repossessed by the right early last year. Nanny's had a standing request with the council to repatriate <laughs> said ship, but it was deprioritized as Nanny uses her ship almost exclusively to steal babies. A ghoulish habit, we can all agree. So, I mean... Uh, but Sinister probably wants it, and he says I should stop throwing rocks from this glass house. <laughs> anyway, but there's a reason he sends them there, whether it's because yeah. he knows the Cameron Hodge encounter is going to be there, whether he wants her um, ship for ship something, for whether something he else. wants something for the right. Yeah. Every time Sinister's acted so far, it has been in self-interest. Final call. Anything else that you needed to get off your chests about this Hellions issue? Yes. The horn nanny doesn't have any lipsticks anymore. <gasps> <laughs> Honed Nanny has has taken her makeup regime down. Yeah, she, she has so maybe, maybe it's a no mouth color. at all know. now. <laughs> I uh, my favorite line of the issue is when Sinister goes, "Yeah, Apocalypse bought a house on a month. Does no one else find that weird? <laughs> just really, really good. <laughs> just super, super funny. Uh, yeah, I just like this issue. Like you know, again, like I don't know all the history of the Cameron Hodge and what have you, but I don't." in the moment i don't feel like i'm missing anything and that that's super nice just to you know not have that like pulling me back while i'm reading it let's talk about wolverine black white and blood these three stories i'm just going to kind of call out each creative team y'all can just go in and we'll just talk about um if we liked it or not and also maybe where it might be placed in continuity so the sure. first one is called the beast with the beast Within Them by Jerry Duggan, Adam Cooper on art, and Frank Martin on colors. Colors. Tyler, thoughts on the beast within them? Um, for me, I think this is really about Adam Cooper's art. I don't think there's a lot of story here, um, but I did enjoy the um, the 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 uh, the place where this story was taken place of. I mean, taken place. You know, it sort of uh, happens within the um, really, really good uh, Barry Winsor Smith uh, Weapon X. Hmm. Harry. Uh, yeah, I thought this book, this story was super okay. I feel like I've read 10 stories with Adam Kubert with Wolverine, like in the snow. So it's not for this story, but it just feels like another one of them. I feel like Ben, ben Percy had Wolverine's uh Mm -hmm. X books start that way, uh, but no, that's yeah. really really pretty. I mean, Adam Kubert's a great artist. He draws an amazing Wendigo. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of uh, it is exactly what you think it is. Yeah. Well, look, I I kind of like and dislike that what Jerry Duggan has set out to do here. I for one don't feel like that the Weapon X program needs a lot of tinkering and inserts into it. It's such a striking story. We've already mm -hmm. put a lot more structure over what what Weapon X is, why it's Weapon X. X means ten, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like, I don't need a whole lot more moments in there to be inserted now decades later that said if anything has always sit weirdly for me about that story it's this idea that like oh we're gonna have this experimental mutant that we just laced his bones with adamantium fight some wolves like it, it, <laughs> nice. it never it never really quite tracked especially because of what p later authors have inserted with wolverine kind of having like a kinship with animals sometimes if we go yeah. back to origin 2 by gillen he has wolverine kind of or when he's just logan in the early 
early 1900s when he meets Sinister, kind of just being one with this wolf pack. So it's always kind of like sat a little bit weird that they just have him killing wolves. So actually I think Diggins, um impetus here to like show that they tried him out on other stuff is actually mm-hmm. a cool idea and i can give it that that said it's kind of just like a nothing story like we're nobody's ever going to go back and like now that yes. we've established in weapon x but but you know you know kubert to me sometimes can get a little bit overly loose and i kind of mm. like lose the thing that made his art so remarkable to me back in the 90s but i actually think this is a relatively tight set of artwork from him maybe because he knows it's going to be in black and white so he's doing a lot more of the work himself in terms of yeah. like shading and implying things because he knows that there's not going to be a lot of color laid on top i don't know but like maybe i would really like a black and white adam kubert issue is what i came away from the story thinking i mean the the two female the female characters and the scientist guy um is also looks very similar to very barry winsor's um you know version sorry i can't say that properly (laughs) so bws versions yeah well, and I and, really like um, when people do that because BWS has a very weird way that he draws yeah. faces that is so unique to, to him. And I love when other artists ape it. I think it was Ron Garney on The Return of Wolverine who like did an issue mm. that just straight up looked like a BWS issue, which I was like blown away that he could maintain that for a whole issue. So I really yeah. like when people make a point of imitating BWS's faces and, and character yeah. builds. I mean, the other thing I kind of want to do to say, it's not so much about the story itself, but... Well, if we're going to have Adam Cooper do Wolverine, so why not just let him do Wolverine on Wolverine's title itself? Like, right. don't, 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 don't distract him with this, you know? Let him do the Wolverine series himself and, you know, maybe have a fill-in artist now and then because he's not the fastest um, penciler in the world. But, you know... Stick, stick him there. I think um, we don't need to distract him or waste his time here, even <laughs> well, though it's beautiful. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm of two minds there. Like, yes, would I like to see an artist of that caliber on the solo series? Yes, but at the same time, it's like, well, you got to draw draw him in with somebody, and he's a big name. So if you're trying to, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for somebody who's known for drawing Wolverine, that's going to bring people into this book, I guess you're going to get Adam Cooper. All right, so. Second one, I Shall Be a Wolf. Matthew Mm. Rosenberg is the writer. Joshua Kassar, who we are addicted to here on this program, is the artist. And this is colored by Guri FX. Tyler, what did you think of I Shall Be a Wolf? I mean, for me, this is delightful. Um, And not just because of Kassar's art. I think the, um, the whole spy deception thing that happens, you know, that sort of, revealed itself halfway through the story um it's kind of fun and um yeah i mean the the thing that that really got me thinking was that um maybe kasara's art needs to be just colored simply because i kind of think that sometimes dean white's coloring on x force makes his work looks a little bit muddy Hmm. harry yeah, I thought this. Um, I thought this was fun. I mean, I think it's kind of obvious with this kind of book that like what you're going to get is more kind of classic, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, classic Wolverine stories. But this is like a very fun, you know, well done kind of twisty version of that. Um, it, you know, it wasn't like really groundbreaking in any way, but like I thought it was like, a really fun story from Rosenberg, uh, who I don't always love. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, Kassar is amazing. I, I like him more with everything I read from him. So. 
you know, and it's always nice to get classic Nick Fury. It's always like, I don't want like a ton of him, but when he's in a story a little bit, that that's pretty nice. And, uh, He's got a good moment where uh, Wolverine tells him to F off and all that. And um, yeah, this was fun. It was like a fun story. And uh, Kassara's art was appropriately gruesome. Like the Hydra goons that get messed up in this get really messed up. Yeah, they get really, really messed up. I'm looking at a page where a guy's like half of his jaw is just gone. I'm just like, okay, you are getting the the blood in this. So yeah, yeah, it was, this was pretty fun. I liked it. Uh, so I want to touch on a couple things from there. First of all, the idea of, of the artwork, right? I do think Kassar is somebody who plays a lot in his art with shading and with maybe like ink washes or gray tones. And I think he actually does do that um, even on the art that's not going to just be black and white. We've seen it on the pages that, that mm-hmm. Tyler and Freya have bought from him. And so it's interesting because to me, I think of Dean White primarily as defined by as a colorist who does a lot of white highlighting because that's one of the marks of his color. But you see that Kassara kind of has that built into his style already. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of the successes that I was attributing to Dean White to begin with on X-Force are actually just Kassara's style, which then mm-hmm. begs the question, like, do you need... Dean White on Kassara, if Dean White's bringing the thing that Kassara's already doing, which is playing with white as a highlight color, we could get really deep into the art stuff there. I I did think the art was phenomenal here, uh, as Kassara always is. I do think it was really brutal and fun. I also would echo something that Harry said about about a young Nick Fury. I was trying to place this in continuity, and it feels like a relatively early Nick Fury. I found myself questioning, Mm. is this Wolverine, like, pre-joining the X-Men and kind of, like, searching it for clues? I don't think it really matters, but it didn't seem like the very grizzled Nick Fury that we have in, like, the 2000s. It feels like it's necessarily maybe kind of like Scorpio connection um, era Nick Fury in some of the Wolverine and Nick Fury stories from the 80s and early 90s. He's almost almost cheery in this. Yeah, yeah. he's, like, really glib in a way that Nick Fury is not always... Yeah. And then um, and then the final thing is like I so Rosenberg always comes with twists, right? This is, if you want to read the, one of the best comic books written in the past decade, mm-hmm. go read Rosenberg's Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Uh, if you, you could teach a comic books class with it. It's like a textbook yeah. of greatness. And I feel like he did as much as he possibly could do in an anthology story here. But I just don't buy Wolverine having a bomb in his body as the kicker to the story. It's Wolverine. You, what is scarier than Wolverine? I just don't know if I like really, really worked for me because I was like, yeah, there's the whole bit with the phone and then it triggers the bomb, which was all very clever, but it felt like it would be cleverer if it was just with like a character who wasn't Wolverine, who is necessarily much scarier than a bomb. But that was that's just <laughs> me being, being mm. Peter. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. that's a fair point. That's fair. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. But it was really, really fun story. Yeah. yeah. All right, Cabin Fever. This one's easy to read, the creative team. Declan <laughs> Shalvey was the writer, the artist, and the colorist here. Tyler. Um, I've always enjoyed Declan's art. Um, I don't always enjoy his writing. Um, in this case, I think it's okay um, for showcasing his art. I mean, it is really nice uh, in a you know, typical Declan's way and the way that he... Um, choreograph fights and stuff like that which um which i first um i think that my first encounter of declan's art was in his moon knight which um i love the action scenes uh, mm. that he that he sort of chore- choreographed in in that series um and but the problem i have here really is with the use of red um i think that it's a bit of a mist here 
and especially towards the end um, because the red is one shade and I think it's being used to denote two different things mm. blood and you know sunset light. or yeah. or light um, you know from somewhere else and it doesn't quite work for me mm. um, so I think that was sort of a, a little bit of a minus there Harry Okay, so uh, I really like Declan Shalvey uh, a lot, actually. I don't like his writing very much. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. Oh, man, you guys are brutal. I know. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I just, I don't, you know, I feel like artists turn writers, you can kind of tell sometimes. And this story, while looks incredible, I think uh, you can kind of tell, like, the writing is a little subpar compared to it. Now, where I differ from Tyler is that this, I actually like the use of red the most in this story, in the three stories, because beyond just being blood for just like effects sake, I feel like it does kind of advance the narrative and show his changing emotional state when Wolverine gets more pissed. And it's not like an incra a crazy groundbreaking thing, but it's just a more creative use of the color than what we got in the first two stories. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I don't, I didn't love this, uh, but I didn't really love any of these, but I, I like this one the most. So uh, good mm -hmm. for Declan Shelby. Well, as is often my job here, I will somewhat split the opinions between the, the two of you. So I come down on the Harry side with the use of red. And the, re the, mm -hmm. the place that it really hit for me was when Wolverine staggers out of the cabin and he's got the baby in his arms and then there's the light from the cop car on the back of the trooper. And the reason it hit for me is because it's he's clearly not just covered with blood there. It's meant to, as Harry very wisely points out, denote something about his his blood rage, his state, his emotional state. Because it's not like there's like bloody handprints on the baby when he mm -hmm. hands it off. And clearly Shalvi's in control of all of this, so he decided that. So that we have this like more impressionistic use of, of red on Wolverine himself in a way that's most supposed to make us feel something. And then we have this very, very realistic where does the light fall use of red on the other side of the page where like it's missing certain creases of the trooper jacket because that's how light would fall on the back of his jacket and i think to tyler's point i can see that it might have been nice to play with different shades of red they did he declan already did that a few pages ago yeah. so i do sort of question why but i do think from a thematic standpoint there's this idea of the two reds coming together because it's the officer with the blood on his hands of of the people and wolverine with blood on him and like it just kind of made it work for me in a way that a page prior to that it hadn't because like the writing is fine i'm not going to go after him i don't know that yeah. I, I mean i've read his bog bodies which is really great if you like a real kind of mm -hmm. like um meat and potatoes sort of like double crossy book which i think is very much in in tune with this but i think it really won it over for me because there's clearly thematic things that are happening here that maybe wouldn't mm -hmm. work if you had an outside colorist right this is what you get when you yeah. get an auteur that writes and draws and colors their own stuff mm -hmm. you get like maybe the colorist would have used two different colors of red and maybe shavi really wouldn't have liked that but wouldn't have had the time to get into that detail we don't know and so mm -hmm. i think to me like i kind of just got a little bit lost in the romanticizing the craft of it to really like super care about if I like the story or not because I just think that he managed to do something interesting with the craft and like that to me is what these black white and spot color issues are uh, Harley Quinn has had a digital one this year which has had a couple of terrible issues and a couple of my mm -hmm. favorite favorite Harley Quinn stories that I've read in years if ever and I yeah. think that if this Wolverine title can do that same thing which is have some terrible stories and some stories that really stick out to me as like wow that was a great Wolverine story then we will have done our jobs here 
my concern is that just by nature of this, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but just, you know, this being like a black, white and, you know, red kind of thing is that it's going to give us very visceral, very boilerplate Wolverine stories right. where he's the best. He is. Yeah, he's the best he is at what he does. And he's going to stab some guys and it's going to be <laughs> red. And I, that's like my concern. But you're right that this is the one that seems like he's at least he's trying to do something different or trying mm -hmm. to experiment and, and that's what you know that's kind of the best thing you can get from an anthology i feel so yeah, yeah. i mean yeah and the best issues of the harley anthology were a ones where the blood the red was not just not blood and b where it just like took it as an opportunity to do something that wasn't just an imitation of other harley quinn i don't know that any of these three stories got to a place where it's not just an imitation of existing wolverine but i'm mm -hmm. hoping maybe that we can get there before this miniseries is over I mean, we can if we look ahead at second issue, the writers we have like Vida, Claremont, and um, uh, Saladin Ahmed. So Saladin Ahmed. Oh wow! So it looks like is Kev Walker, who is yeah. Great. I love Kev Walker. Now, well, and and we have we have Peter's favorite artist on the next issue too, Greg Land. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is this a joke? <laughs> well, we'll, no, it's not a joke. Oh, he really oh, loves. He oh really gosh. loves this the is red a twist for the ages. All right. <laughs> well, look, this gives you reason to tune back in, friends, when that issue comes in later those months. Oh my so, god! Thank you, but Harry's like, I don't know if we're gonna get Harry back next week. He's so shocked right now. Yeah, he's like, oh. You know what? I am curious. quick. A black and white Greg Land story written by right? Vita. Don't you I just want to know? Well, and it's about look like. and, and it's right, Wolverine, and it's Wolverine. So there will not be the pea mouth, you know, thing going on. So. Oh my god. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Well, we made it uh, through two issues plus one retro issue. Who knew? that we were going to be talking about X-Factor that long. I think we talked more about that than we did almost like any issue of 22 X of Swords issues. But there's just so much <laughs> packed into the issue to respond to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's a classic X, uh, Claremont's layered approach. There's like, you know, ending of one arc, starting of the next one, as well as so many little characters, moments, and seeds of things to come. So, I mean, we can't help but talk about it. This is just a great week after X of Swords because you don't know what this line of books is going to look like after a big crossover. This is new territory, but just the fact that it was just very confident, just exploring the world, exploring plot mm -hmm. lines led down by X of Swords, like it all just felt really good and confident. And yeah, it just, I feel like just the best issues are ahead i, I hope <laughs> well look next week's going to be another really interesting week for us because we're going to come back to marauders and hopefully pick up some kate pride plots mm -hmm. which we've been sorely missing for over two months now seriously and we have the first issue of the new title in the x-men line and it is sword number one and it's al ewing uh, writing x-men <laughs> so we are really 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 excited about that and uh, also next week will be juggernaut number four but i think we're going to come back to juggernaut in the mm. new year when the whole series is done much as how we came back to wolverine today so look thank you for sticking around for this very extensive discussion of the issues out this week for myself for my regular co-host tyler for our special guest uh exchange of prisoners harry <laughs> and for our remote correspondent freya thank you so much for tuning in to another week of x in this week of x on crushing comics and if you haven't already please subscribe so that you can continue getting this show as well as all the other comics content that we've got out there and the only thing i have left to say is be well everybody <laughs> <laughs>